Hi there, esteemed audience, and welcome to another episode of Middle Grade Ninja. I'm your host, Rob Kent, author of the Banneker Bones Trilogy. Uh, the first book, Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees, is available as an audiobook, a paperback, and the ebook is free. Free to download whenever you're watching or listening to this, wherever fine ebooks are sold. Uh, for more information about me and more important, for thousands of interviews with editors, literary agents, authors, all the world's best people, go to middlegradeninja.com. If you go back to the section for uh, publishing professionals for 2013, you can read a written interview uh, with today's illustrious guest, uh, Marie Lamba. Marie, how are you this evening? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I mean, it's, it's been a long work day, but I'm all perked up. I had a chocolate and I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> is that your uh, go-to at night there's a, a bit of chocolate and you get more energy no just for you i'll be up all night now you'll see <laughs> well, i appreciate the sacrifice <laughs> it's you know taking one for the team yeah <laughs> i've got a uh, jar of chocolate uh, covered um, uh, uh, coffee beans uh, and I live in, in horror of my seven-year-old finding it and eating it. We're living on the edge here at the, the camp. Oh, yeah. You just never know. <laughs> so esteemed audience knows that I uh, never uh, summarize anybody else's biography or anybody else's book. And that's how I, I make sure I, I keep friends in the publishing industry. Uh, so my first question is always, if you would give uh, esteemed audience kind of an overview of your background. Okay, uh, Rob. Uh, all right, I'm I, an agent. I think most people know that that are you know querying and writing these days. Um, I work as um, a literary agent for the Jennifer DeCure Literary Agency in New York City, and I represent a really wide range of stuff there, from picture books, uh, chapter books, middle grade graphic novels, uh, young adult, adult, and I do fiction and nonfiction for children and adults. So it really is a very broad spectrum. Um, but I didn't start off like, I don't think people like as little kids are like, someday I want to grow up and be a literary agent. <laughs> Most of us don't even know what a literary agent is until we need one, you know, really. Um, that's how I was. So I, I grew up wanting to be a writer. And from, uh, I, think about, I think about age 10, I decided that I was going to be a writer. That's it. And um, I write young adult novels and picture books. I've done a lot of magazine work and editing and PR and such like that. And I, I'm actually represented by Jennifer DeCarrot. That's how um, I got into this, actually. She represents me. And I, you know, I had my first novel came out, What I Meant, through Random House. That was my debut YA. And then after that, I wrote Drawn and Over My Head, two more YA novels. And around that time, um, my first novel came out just when the financial crisis hit. It came out in 2007. And what I meant was probably, this is sort of a long about way to explain how I became an agent. It's probably uh, one of the first books that Bar Barnes & Noble didn't automatically pick up through Random House. You know, like in the beginning, if you had a Random House book, all the Barnes & Nobles, all the Borders, remember Borders? I, uh, B. Dalton's, all that, they would pick up. And, and have all of your books. And when the financial crisis was starting to come in with the recession, the, you know, they didn't really understand what was going on and they were starting to already, you know, cut back on things and stuff like that. So my book was one of the first to take a hit. My editor got fired. 
Uh, I had a two book deal. The book deal got can't, the second book was already written and accepted. The cover was done. It was a sequel to what I meant. It got canceled immediately. So it was a real blow. That was my that was my debut thing. And so all of this the reason I bring this up is because as an author, there's a lot of things that can go on to derail you and your work. And what do you do with it? So Jennifer DeCiara saw me um, using my PR background and, you know, I can be a very positive person. I, I gotta say, I was not positive then, <laughs> but I, 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 I was like determined. Right, yeah, I was not positive at that moment. I was, it was miserable. I just didn't even know things like that could happen. Um, but I used my background in, in PR and marketing and all that to make sure that uh, what I meant, my, my novel would sell. And I pretty much hand sold about 80% of the tiles that sold and I earned out. Um, and I was just sort of like this machine, right? So, and, and you know, I, I was building relationships, bookstores. So Jennifer was looking at that and she asked me if I wanted to agent for her. And I was very confused by that. I was just like, I was not sure. So what I basically did was I was a secret agent for a while. I still have a file on my computer that I use that's called secret agent where I keep all my, my agent uh, related stuff because it was like an identity thing. Like if I'm an agent, how am I a writer? You know, I have all these friends that are writers. If I'm an agent, how are they gonna, you know, relate to me or is, you know, am I gonna have to reject them? I mean, this is like very, I just was not sure. So I did it secretly for a while. <clears throat> and Jennifer would just sort of share some queries with me and stuff like that. And then finally I had to admit, you're right. I, I want to do this. This is this is a good fit for me. Um, I'm very much a mama bear. You know, I like to take care of my clients, just like my kids, you know. And um you know, I brought in my, my writing and my PR and all that. So, so as time went on, I just, I, I fully embraced being an agent. I've now been an agent at the agency for uh, 10 years now. It's been, I just had my 10 year anniversary there, which is crazy. Yeah. Thank you. It's crazy. Right. It's just uh, time goes on. We were just talking about that. Right, Rob. I mean, you guys, you've been doing your, your website for uh, just a little bit longer than that. And that's great. I mean, um, sticking with things and doing something like that. But anyway, uh, so now, so I'm, now I'm an agent and I'm a writer. And I've, I, since I've been agenting, um, it's very busy, um, lots of work, very time, very all consuming, you know, like you can never catch up. You just can't. And, um, you know, while I was waiting to connect with the, the call with you, I was looking at my query tracker thing. And I had like about 500 queries there. So I was like, I was like looking through them. <laughs> you're never, you know, you're always working. So I didn't really do any more. Um, it was hard for me to write for a while, quite a while. And um, I just started writing again, as far as um, doing picture books and things. So I have two picture books that came out. Um, I have a whole pile of books here to show you guys, like as we talk, um, if there's, but anyway, so the, the first one I did was with my husband, Baldev, and it's um, this one, Green Green, A Community Gardening Story. And it's illustrated by uh, Sonia Sanchez and uh, came out through FSG. So that was my first one. And then the second one I did um, is called A Day So Gray. And it's illustrated by Aliyah Marley, and she's wonderful too. And uh, that came out through Clarion. So I'm start. My writer's brain is starting to warm up again. So I'm. I feel like I'm. My double identities are starting to kind of thrive side by side a little bit more. Only took ten years. <laughs> so that that's my short bio. <laughs> 
we're gonna uh, i've got all kinds of questions to, to oh, I bet you uh, over, uh, before we're done i do like the idea that we we started about the same time a decade ago and so yeah. we've been moving from opposite sides of the country to this moment that's, <laughs> that's <Damn. been> <laughs> but i'm curious because that is such a terrible experience just right off the bat with your second book getting canceled yeah. uh, and you're being fired and then i know that you had worked as a publishing assistant mm -hmm. uh, briefly for for four months it was wonderful and then everybody got laid off <laughs> you heard that one yeah that's true that was my first job out of college i was the assistant to the publisher of banbury books in lane pennsylvania it was a great job i mean the people were wonderful um and um yeah and four months later they just said okay we're closed <laughs> no health care bye you know so maybe i should have known i should have seen this coming i don't know <laughs> well, I'm just curious. I mean, you 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 must be somebody that doesn't uh, let the uh, grass grow under you. You you must take the you must absorb these body blows and say, okay, well, that's unfortunate, but obviously you're staying in publishing. Yeah, you know, I think that's something we all do when we face reject um, rejection. I mean, like I'm an agent and I'm also a writer, so I feel like being on both sides of that it it. it gives me some compassion, but also some perspective, even as a writer as well. Like business, right? It's wherever, um, when, a, when business meets art, that's where things kind of get sticky, right? Because you can have this one, these wonderful works, but if you can't find the market for it, or the market isn't ready for it, for whatever reason, it can really be very difficult. Um, but it's really, I think, Rob, it's, I think it's really about identity, right? Like, who are you and what do you believe in? And I really, like since age 10, I was a writer. I, I can't say I was very good for a long time. I wrote a lot of crap. I, I promise you that. You know, like there's, you know, there's these people that are like early bloomers and they're like, they're like winning awards and they're in the newspaper and they're, you know, they're in like the arts journal and they're published. That was not me. That was not me. But I was a writer. I just knew it. I just, it's my, my passion. I'm pretty stubborn. I guess there's some of that, but you also have, it's not just about being stubborn. You have to be willing to learn and adapt, right? Because if you just have like one thing that you do and you're like, I'm going to sell it. And you're like doing that for like 20 years and you're not changing and growing and learning, you know, um, that's not what being a writer is about. It's always about kind of adapting and, and learning and growing and, but also not letting these kind of things crush your spirit right? You have to keep a certain sense of play and that love and that wonder that you feel when you wrote that first story or you start numbering pages and dreaming of writing a book or you read your very first author that you absolutely were passionately in love with, right? I mean, those are the kind of feelings that, that keep you going and have nothing to do with uh, papering your wall with rejections or, you know, having a book canceled after, you know, and pouring your heart into something and finding out it doesn't quite work out the way it was supposed to. These things are always going to happen, right? So the question is, are you going to give up? Are you, you know, why are you doing it? And, you know, um, it's a long road. I think that's what it is, right? I mean, we've been doing this for 10, 11 years, right? As far as aging and your, and your website, and you can see all the changes that um, and directions life is taking you through. And you have to kind of cut yourself some slack. You know, there's times where um, things are just not working out and then there's times where things are golden, um, which makes you worry that think that's not, not gonna work out, right? <laughs> right, it's like, oh no, it's going well. 
you know, and wait for that big foot to come down. Well, I hadn't considered that. Now I'm terrified. <laughs> no, my whole point is things go up and down and it's a long game. It's always a long game of publishing, you know? It's not just that one book, that one canceled story, that one bad uh, experience. It's also all the great stuff and all the promise of, you know, moving forward and, you know, reinventing your ideas and believing in yourself, finding your voice, you know, and sticking to it. And, um, you know, uh, I, I see it with my clients as well. You know, they, their careers go through different things. And sometimes, you know, a client will be like, you know, I just had this experience. Actually, it's very funny just yesterday where I have a client who was like, we had this call just a few months ago. She's like, I think maybe I should give up you know, what do you think? Nothing's happening. I put all my time into it. Maybe I should move on. And I just said, you know, you got to do what you got to do. You got to earn money. But if this is who you are, and this is your dream, you stick with it. You know, if you have to do it part-time for a while or whatever, I believe in you. And so just yesterday, she got a great offer on a, on a work. So yeah. And I reminded her of that conversation. I said, remember that? Remember you were going to quit? <laughs> so so, you know, I always, I always say this, and I've said this for years, they all, you don't know for sure what's going to happen. The only thing you know for sure is that if you give up, it won't happen for you. And there's different levels of happening, right? I mean, there's like, oh, I need to be a bestseller. But these days, we can publish our own work. We can reach readers. We can, you know, nobody's stopping you from creating and writing and from sharing your work, you know? Um, so it's just a matter of like... Um, Will you be a, you know, there's a, an, always another thing like, oh, you know, you get published. Oh, you, you're not a bestseller. Oh, you're bestseller. You're, you're not the bestseller. You're, you know, like there's, there's always like some other goalposts where, where writers can be like, oh, boo-hoo, you know, poor me, you know, so instead be the other side. Be like, I'm so proud of myself. I love what I did. I captured this moment that I really wanted to capture. I connected with somebody. They read it and they loved it, you know, or their child you know, it sparks something in their child. I mean, that's, that's real, you know, that's real stuff. So, yeah. So I guess, you know, part of it's being stubborn and, and part of it's just, it's your identity. You know, that's what makes you stick with it. I love yeah. this idea of you as almost like a, like almost like a superhero, like uh, <laughs> you're cradling your, your, your canceled second novel, like Batman cradling his dead parents. And you say, never again, I will make sure that this happens to another author. <laughs> I self-published it. I self-published it. So, cause that's what, you know, what could I do? It was all written. It was, you know, it was, and at least I had the opportunity. I could self-publish. I didn't have to do you know, just a few years prior to this, I think this came out, I want to say, I don't know, I'm trying to remember, 2009 or something like that, this one. And, you know, just a few years prior to that, you couldn't self-publish and have like this print-on-demand thing, like, and, and, you know, it's available all over the world. It would have been one of those deals where you do the vanity press and you order, like, you have to order 10,000 copies and they sit in your garage and you pay all this money. I mean, like, you know. I did that once. Did you? That's tough. Yeah, right, right out of college. I self, uh, self-published one with, uh, oh, maybe I should say, well, First Books, uh, which was, uh, I think they changed their name a couple of times. I think they're author solutions now, whatever. Um, they were a Vanity Press, uh, and I ended up with a bunch of copies. I actually sold most of them. Uh, which oh, that's was awesome. But you had to have like a certain print run because in those days, it was a traditional press. And the second you hit the button, 
boom, it's like at least 5,000 copies go off flying off the press. They couldn't do one. They couldn't do 10, right? I don't know how many copies you had to buy, but I'm sure it was significant, right? And your first reader immediately finds the typo that got missed. <laughs> no, I've got a garage full of typo-ridden garbage. <laughs> a whole garage full. Well, that is very impressive that you sold them all. That's wonderful. Good for you. And, you know, people are like, oh, partner really hustled. Yeah, see, you hustled and you probably learned a ton doing it. I'm sure you did. Yeah, we did. One of the things I, I learned is that uh, the literary agents and editors who told me no, we're right. That book should not have been published in that stage. Last last I saw, there is a copy available out there, but it was selling for a thousand plus. And I figured <laughs> if anybody is willing to pay that kind of money, you can have it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's like, you know, maybe they know something you don't know. I don't know. But, you know, it, it's it's tough because you know, you have to listen to your inner voice about like what you believe in. And sometimes they are wrong. You know, the industry can be wrong. It, it could be a great work and, um, you know, just not the right time or the market or, or something happened in the marketplace that made them afraid to publish this certain thing for a length of time. And, you know, it, have you seen that book of, called Rotten Rejections? Have you seen that? Which one is it? Rotten Rejections. No, I haven't. Oh, it's so great. There's, it's a little Dover book and it's called Rotten Rejections and you should get it and every writer should have it. it it's just a compendium of, you know, um, the classic works and famous, fabulous masterpieces, the rejection letters that they got. So, yeah, you know, it's like Mo Moby Dick. Nobody's going to want to read about a big fish, you know, things like that. <laughs> it's, it really makes you feel great. Yeah. So I have it somewhere on my bookshelf back there. So, yeah, I highly recommend it. So, well, let's talk, uh, let's talk about your, your journey uh, a little bit as a writer, because I'm, I'm fascinated by the, the well, I, I, you know what, check the plan, let's do this, let's talk, you've self-published and traditionally published, mm -hmm. was that a huge relief to self-publish that book and to say it's out there, no one could stop me, here it is, world, or is it like, I wish I hadn't done that, I wish I had changed it a bit and, and published it traditionally? No, I, I don't wish about it, I, that I changed anything about it. I really felt like, and this is why people say, what do you think about self-publishing? I say, if, if you do it, it should be as good or better than anything that any big publisher would put out. You know, you really strive to do your best. It shouldn't be like your first draft thing. It shouldn't be like your tester that you like a test balloon you send out. Um, you can do it that way, sure. But I mean, you if you if you could really be proud of it, then that that's really the goal. So I felt like that. I actually did two books. I did uh, Over My Head, and then I also did another one um, because at that point I was trying to sell Jennifer DeCiara was trying to sell my um, novels, and the whole market had crashed. Plus, you know, they all knew my book had been canceled from Random House. So I really had a hard time. So this is the other one that I self published called Drawn. Um, and it was like a paranormal romance. One of my favorite books, actually, that I wrote. Um, it's a time travel romance. Um, you know, it, you write the books you want to read, right? And so that was one of them. But the thing I learned about it that was very hard is that whenever I paid attention to it and put all my time and heart into it, I sold a ton. And whenever I looked away from it, it disappeared completely. So that was the problem. You had to constantly be you know, hyping it and selling it and playing with the market and doing the markdown prices and the deals and the podcasts and the, and whenever I did, I sold really well, but that 
that wasn't my business. I mean, I just couldn't, couldn't sustain it. After a while, I was just like, eh. You know? <laughs> so it's still out there. There's still for sale. I still get, you know, I still get check, you know, the, the way Kindle works and stuff, they just automatically drop money into your bank account. I'll get like a, you know, we see a book or two sell a month somewhere in the world. That's nice. You know, it's paid for itself a few times over. And, um, but that was the hard part for me. The constant need to market it, um, to get it out there. Um, you don't somehow it was very hard to get that whole um, thing where something grows. You know, it's so available and seen everywhere, so that it's discovered. Right? It's that discoverability. Whereas, like something like Green Green, uh, even though it was published a few years ago, the libraries all have it. The um, it's on lists. You know, I'm still getting like invites from, you know, different organizations, they'll find it. You know, it can be found um, and it's being read all over the place as is, as a day so gray, you know, with, with, which is really fun with COVID. I always, I always Google myself, we all do. Come on, you do too, right, Rob? <laughs> Come on, you know you do, we all, we have to, you have to Google yourself. So I Google myself and I check like within a week just to see what's out there that I, you know, to be aware and to, you know, if I need to follow up with somebody or buzz something. And all through COVID, um, Green Green and A Day So Gray have been read by librarians and teachers and museum people and, and um, pastors and, you know, to, to kids everywhere. And I would get these notices. I would, you know, when I, when I Googled myself, sorry, and I would, um, be able to check it out and I would check in and say hi and things like that. And, you know, with things that are self-published, that's the problem. It's really hard. It's really hard. Um, if somebody has a good platform, I think that they can keep keep it out there and keep it seen or, or, the, or they love doing that all the time. Um, but for me, that was the real challenge. So it was never anything about like, oh, I regret I did that. Um, it was just, it's just a lot of work. That's what I think. I've got to imagine it um, changes things just a little bit. And also, by the way, in, in relation to Googling yourself, I set up a Google alert for Robert Kent. Uh, and I, <laughs> I keep thinking about canceling it because at least a couple of times a month, I find out how many Robert Kents there are in the world. And most of them have obituaries. So, oh, my, that's, that's too great. Stop sending me those. Um, <laughs> but in terms of, uh, of self-publishing, obviously, there, there's still that uh, uh, stigma that, that can come along with that. Um, I would imagine if you come in and one, you've got a traditionally published book and you are a literary agent, you, I mean, you, you are a figure within traditional publishing. Does that curb that stigma a bit or do people, are they still kind of looking down their nose just a little bit at your book? No, I don't think anybody's looking at down their nose anymore. I really think that was a factor of the initial thing. And when it first came out, I think it was just like, oh you've done that because you couldn't do that otherwise. And I don't think that's really true anymore. I think a lot of people are self-publishing for many different reasons. For some of us, I mean, they've, they've hit the marketplace, they've tried, they couldn't get through for whatever reason. It's hard. It's very hard to get the attention of literary agents. And then if you don't have a literary agent, you know, now more so than ever, the amount of markets that are open to writers who don't have agents is a lot really small. Is there any crime in, in self-publishing? No, the thing that gets that gets tough is when you see the quality is really bad. When you see that you know somebody there's typos all over the place, they haven't created a good product. But if it's a nice product, I don't think it has the same. It's not like a career killer. 
at all. And there's an awful lot of people that have self-published and made really good careers at it in different genres, right? Like we were talking about erotica, for example, or romance. Um, if you have a series where um, you get in there and you really hook people and they want the next book and the next book. There's a lot of people that have gotten their rights back on things and then self-published them. You know, like books have gone out of print. And now you can take that out of print book and you can put it online and it's the same title. Um, you know, so there's a lot of different ways to use that in your portfolio. And I imagine that people who are like, say, poets, short story writers and things like that, if they go to festivals, art festivals, they want something to sell and they can self-publish. I mean, you know, there, there's been such a snobbery about publishing that's grown over, you know, the past, you know, say 100 years. But before that, everything was self-publishing. You know, everybody just, they got the money and they put their stuff out, you know. Um, so it, it's really about the quality of the work. So I, I don't look down on people at all who are self-published. I just think that um, there's certain things, like when I get queries from people and they say, oh, I've, I've, I've been number one in my category in Amazon. Um, I sold, you know, I sold 500 copies or whatever like that. I know, or I know from having self-published that you can be number one in your category if like 10 people buy your book in one day. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, it's really, I mean, I know all sorts of stuff like that. And I know that like, if you want to really impress a publisher with those numbers, you have to say, and I sold 10,000 copies paid. Cause I know like I sold them like within one week withdrawn, I did some special campaign where I was giving away free copies for like the time, you know, you can do the, all these different ad campaigns. And I think 7,000 copies went right away. And then it went back into paid and then it sold a whole bunch because it was closable because suddenly it was like number one in its category, ah, you know? So, um, you know, if it's a quality work and, you know, it's not something that you're, that's, terrible you know like <laughs> you there's, there's no there's no it's not going to hurt you that's what I'm saying it's not going to hurt you anymore it's not that that same thing that maybe when we were like when I first started doing it um it was like that vanity press like when you had the vanity press you hear the, they call it a vanity press it's so so uh that that's such bad PR isn't it <laughs> <laughs> they, need to re they needed to relabel that because right away it was like vanity, you know, like, like, oh, nobody would want you. So you have to do this. Like there's a whole stigma that's just, it's not necessarily true. So for example, with, you know, there's a lot of people who are like public speakers or they, you know, they have a nonfiction platform and they can go to conventions and they can, they do presentations. Hey, if they're going to self-publish their work and sell it right there, good for them. That makes total sense. Right? And why, why do they need the middleman in that case, right? So, so there's a lot of different ways to look at it. I think you, you, um, you know, you can't judge people like that. That's the thing. And, and, it, and there has been judgment in the past, but there's a lot of things that have also, you know, we've seen it over a period of years now, the way things have shifted in attitudes, right? So for example, in um, 2007, 2008, 2009, book sales were brutal. And things that happened in people's careers were brutal. People lost agents. They lost deals. Um, numbers of books sold was very bad, right? And from 2011 on, if you were to sell a book, people knew to just not look at your numbers from back then. But in the thick of it, they were like, oh, 
you didn't sell. You, 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 your book came out and only sold like 2,000 copies. You know, you're a failure, you know, whatever. And now, you know, looking back, they're like, wow, that time sucked. We, we don't even look at that. You know, we're not, even as an agent, I don't, I, I, I never looked back into that time period to see even like what books were selling or how an author did, or, you know, I didn't judge them for like, um, you know, having books that, you know, just didn't do well because it was, it was not their fault, you know? And I think now that's just sort of a given, it's understood. Are we, are we maybe in another period that might be similar with uh, having been in a pandemic for so many of these launches that I know some have done really extraordinary work. Everyone yeah. that's come on this show has experienced that middle grade ninja boost. They're doing great. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, other folks I know have, have not had the support that they maybe would have, didn't have their yeah public network. So could we maybe be looking at another time of, hey, you had bad sales, but it was during the pandemic. Don't worry about it. There's something really interesting going on here because there's two different things at war here. On one hand, you're missing out. If your major um, meat and potatoes of your sales for children's books has been through school appearances, yeah, you're going to suffer, right? You will have suffered because you go to a school, you pre-sell, you know, 300 copies of a book and you get paid and you do like five of those and you do bookstore signings, you know, you get, you get a boost that you can't possibly get otherwise, right? That's one side of it. The other side of it is people are reading like nothing before, you know, with the pandemic, book sales are up. They are really doing well. And I'm seeing as an agent, I'm seeing the other side of it right now that um, suddenly I'm getting tons of book deals. I'm getting my client projects out as fast as I can on pitch because the, you know, the, all the publishers are like, wow, we're really selling now. What else you got? What else you got? I need one of these. I need some of this for my list. We've got the funds for that, you know, and um, they're pushing it out there. They need content like anything. Um, the other thing that's mentioning content, which is kind of an interesting thing, um, it doesn't always impact us, but online con on content for like um, Netflix and um, you know all these online platforms, they need tons of content. And so more and more we're selling um, you know, movie deals and film rights and TV rights and um, sometimes even works that are going right from proposed right to a series or like to, to being pitched to these studios because they need so much content. So that's a very positive thing for writers. It doesn't always trickle down to everybody, but it across the board, it's positive. And the other thing that's also huge is audio. Audio was something that was like, you know, not that important. And now people are listening all the time to books. Their, their audio deals are really, um, you know, so we we're really fighting as agents to keep audio rights to our clients' books because there's a lot of audio deals being done. So, so there's growth, there's change, and I think that's the curse, right? Isn't that a Chinese curse? So may there always be change, right? <laughs> but, but there's positive things too because the thing that's common for all of it is that people need writers. You know, this stuff doesn't come about by itself. Somebody's got to be telling the stories. Somebody's got to be doing writing the words. You know, um, they need it. You know, it's needed that, and we need stories and all that. 
So, you know, I, I feel like now, and now that it's opening up, I mean, already I'm just starting as an author, I'm starting to get invitations. It's kind of blowing my mind. I'm almost not even ready for it. I'm like, ah, talking to people. Ah, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, yes, maybe. I don't know. But I just got one. It's like, oh, you know, two sessions, at least a hundred kids each. I'm like, ah, okay, maybe, but <laughs> you know, so, you know, all these things, they haven't gone away. You know, the indie bookstores have hung in pretty well, um, you know, and because people are buying books and hopefully you're buying books through your local bookstore, supporting them. Um, but I think we're going to have to wait and see. I, I, it's not a recession, right? It's a weird time. You know, it's like a pause. So. Yeah. You, honey, uh, and this is an unbelievably unfair question. So I acknowledge that. Up front. <laughs> okay. um, okay. But do you have any predictions about how publishing, I'm sure publishing has changed, certainly in the way that people are working. We were talking about you used yeah. to look forward to going into the office. Mm -hmm. uh, and now you're not doing that as much. What changes can you foresee occurring, knowing that nobody knows the future and that yeah. things are further? You know, that is, a, that is a good question. Um, I know, I mean, just in general, I can see graphic novels are really taking off. Um, it's something that, uh, uh, and that, I don't think that's a secret. I think most people know that, but, you know, they're selling like crazy to libraries and schools um, for, for the kid level. And they're also getting very young. Um, some, some publishers are looking for, you know, like early, early graphic novels, you know, very, um, you know, we used to think about them like manga and like, you know, adult things and angsty and all other stuff, but they're all over the place and there's nonfiction graphic novels. So that is a really like a very much a growing market. And a lot of, there's a bunch of imprints, of course, that are do graphic novels, but more and more just any old agent is, I mean, any old editor is like, I want to do graphic novels too, and all sorts of different imprints across publishing. So that is kind of a new boom. Um, trying to think what else would be. Um, we talked about audio rights. We talked about content. Um, uh, you know, th there's there's some things that are still um, a struggle. Um, uh, chapter books are still tough, and uh, even though kids love them, the problem is you need several of them, and they're so skinny. You know, so even on a like on a bookshelf in a bookseller, there, there's like you can't even see them. You know, like there's like these little tiny things. So publishers find have trouble, you know, selling them. But um, you know, if you have a really good hook, you, you know, they still do well. Um, you know, I've done I've represented a few of Debbie Davies' Mermaid Tales ones. They're always doing good. Um, I'm trying to think what else across the spectrum. I mean, I, I think one of the biggest changes and it's one of the most positive changes are related to diversity in books and seeing your kids represented in all different kinds of, um, you know, backgrounds and things like that. That is amazing. Uh, let's um, get to what the esteemed audience is chomping at the bit to know about. Let's talk <laughs> a little bit about uh, Jennifer, the literary agent, and why of all the agents are available. Uh, this agency that's what was uh, one of the top 25 literary agencies in the country voted by uh, Writer's Digest. Why should everyone listening when they've got the whole back catalog of amazing agents to listen to, why is this agency the one that they should be going toward? Well, you know, there's there are a lot of great agents. There's some agents you got to watch out for out there. Um, you don't want anybody who's obviously, and I'm, uh, you know, people know this, but if you're listening to this for the first time because you're on your journey to find an agent, nobody should ever charge you, ever. 
you know, and they shouldn't point you toward an editorial service that will charge you and they'll get a cut of, you know, it's the way it works is that we only make money when we sell your work. Okay. So that's why it's very hard because we're taking on people that we see like, not just that, oh, I love this, but I can sell this. I can help this person. So why our agency? So our agency is on one of the, like on a, it's more boutique-y. We have an, um, a number of agents, um, but it's not massive. And Jennifer DiChiara, um, she really sets the tone. She, um, she is somebody who's just very, um, she's very smart. She's a warm-hearted person. She's very um, sharp, you know, so she really spends a time. Every contract that we do goes through her. She looks at everything over. She, you know, um, so you're getting, you're not getting just the agent that you're working with. Like if you're not representing Jennifer, but you say you're representing me, you're also getting Jennifer because she's always there with negotiating and advising and, um, you know, kind of pointing the way. Um, so she really does a, a wonderful job. Um, our agency is connected with, um, we have our sort of a dedicated uh, foreign rights uh, agent that um, can bring our work, you know, all over the world. We have um, a, like a film rights person who um, has like sort of a first look of everything that we do that also has amazing relationships with um, all sorts of film studios and um, and so that, you know, we have all that. And we also have a very human touch. You know, you're gonna get, when you're working with one of us, you're gonna get the attention that you deserve as, as a writer. Um, not to say that other agencies don't have that, but I just know that here, you know, you're gonna get an answer from your agent when you, when you email them, you know what I mean? And um, you have a problem, you need to talk to them, they'll talk to you. Um, if I email yeah. you today, how long can I? <laughs> wait before I hear back you think? Uh, usually it's the same day um if it's if it's not it'll be like the next day um if I can't if I can't get back I'll usually acknowledge the email and say you know um I'll you know I, I got this I'll, I'll get back to you soon kind of thing um you know I I have uh right now 25 clients that's that's what I represent as an agent and um you know, one thing is, um, as things come in, you know, I'm a very, very editorial agent. So I don't just like take something and flip it out for um, submission. So if you send me something and it needs work, I, I spend the time editing and, and commenting and all that. So it can take, if suddenly all my clients start sending novels, which they do at certain times of year, around New Year's, <laughs> interestingly enough, summertime, late summer, everybody starts. So I'll have like a queue that kind of builds up. And, and so, you know, some writers are like, oh, my agent should just get back to me within a month. Sometimes your agent has like about 15 novels that they're reading and like five picture books and two chapter books and a proposal. And they're going as fast as they can and they're doing it themselves. They're not like giving it out to assistants that, you know, interns or things like that. Um, and so it can take a while. Um, but you're getting the care and, and that you need. And, and I always tell my, my um, clients exactly where things are in the queue when I get them. So they know what to expect. Um, and sometimes, you know, if there's something that's urgent, you do it right away, you know, that kind of stuff. So I'm um, always working. <laughs> Lots of stuff what going on. What does your average day look like? What does my average day look like? That's a good question. All right. So let's, let's talk about today. 
How's that for an idea? So here we are, eight, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, I'm on a podcast with you. So it's a good day. Um, so starting off in the morning, I'll answer a whole bunch of emails and follow up on stuff. Um, I will probably check in with an editor or two that may have gotten in touch with me. I um, was preparing a submission. Um, so I was writing the pitch letter. I got the pitch letter together. I was happy with that. I made the editor list for this pitch yesterday. I spent a lot of time like finding the right editors, researching, because they change all the time. You know, like their preferences change, they move houses. You know, when you're like me and you represent so many different genres, when you start, like say you've been doing picture books, now you're going to do an adult novel, you have to kind of, it's been like, say maybe it's been a few months since you've done an adult novel. You want to make sure everything is like the best, you know, the best editors for it. So I did that list yesterday. I have my pitch email. I, I proofread through the proposal because it was a proposal I was sending out over coffee this morning, made sure everything was perfect, did a correction. And then after lunch, I pitched it out um, and sent it out and um, was also corresponding with a few other clients. Um, and then I had a call with Jennifer, the boss. She called me, we were, we we're going over um, an audio contract. Um, we were reviewing that, that we got in to make sure that it, um, see what other demands we needed and make sure that it conformed to what we agreed on. Um, and that's pretty much it. That's, that sounds like a day. And, and also in between editing a, a novel of one of my clients that I'm working on that. So, you know, not much. <laughs> and then of course you've got uh, family. I assume you have some, some, some hobbies outside of reading and writing. You would think, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if time. <laughs> my, my daughters are off on their own, but um, during COVID, one of my daughters was home. Um, she's an attorney and she lives in Philadelphia. So she came and was with us for the full year. Um, so she, we were sharing office space. So we'd be back to back and she'd be like on the phone on, on Skype, like saying, yes, your honor. And I'd be there like talking to an editor. <laughs> it was like really <laughs> lots of energy. And then we all break. And my husband's upstairs. He teaches at Temple University. So he was teaching upstairs on Skype all day. And we'd break for lunch and we'd all have lunch together. So, um, so that kept me pretty busy. But um, as far as hobbies, I mean, um, you know, I like to draw. I'm, you know, I studied fine art. I always thought I'd be a writer illustrator, but I never really, you know, pursued it too much. So I do that a little bit, um, a little bit of exercising, lots of walking, um, you know, staying in touch with my family, cooking, that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's a, that's a full week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. So you mentioned you had about 500 uh, uh, queries, give or take, waiting for you there in the inbox to get back to eventually. Mm -hmm. You've got yeah. 25 clients. What are the right. odds here? How many, how many clients on average are you taking on a year? Well, I mean, you did the math, right? I mean, I've been an agent for 10 years and I have 25 clients. I think that says a lot. I was lot. hoping the math would work out a little bit better than that, honestly. <laughs> no, I know, I know. Um, yeah, it's, you know, and, you know, I do think that it's really smart for writers to um, start approaching uh, new, new agents and established firms because, Two things. One, if they're an established firm, they're getting the guidance of the agency, right? They're not like brand new on their own, um, you know, so you know that they've got the reputation behind them and they've got the guidance. And somebody who's newer building their list, they're going to be really eager and like acquiring a lot of people. They're going to try, right? 
Um, one thing that's good and bad is an agent goes on in their career. It's good because they've learned a whole bunch of stuff. It's bad because they've learned a bunch of stuff. <laughs> so, so, you know, the kind of things that might have really excited me, I might have tried to sell already and had hit the wall and known like, oh, I really love this kind of book, but the market just doesn't. So I can't help this writer. So I have to pass. And those are the tough ones. I do see a lot of those where I'm like, ah, oh, the writing is good. And I like this. This is the kind of book that I would like, but I know that I've tried to sell a book just like this. And I know what the pushback is and I couldn't sell it. So I can't help That's this. An example of such a book? Um, you know, it's hard to say. I, you know, I think maybe because it's like 8.30 at night, I'm trying to think of what it is. But I know that would be like, tell me that. I won't write that. No. But, you know, that was just my experience in the marketplace and for different things. Um, you know, like I know that, um, I do know that chapter books can be, can be hard unless they got a really, really, really um, smart hook. Um, uh, I would say picture books that are cute but don't have a, a definite sales hook, um, that's a tough one. You know, even beautiful picture books. Um, like with mine, like, you know, they both have a hook. Um, I don't know that I did it deliberately that way. It was just what I was writing about. Like Green Green, a community garden story, right? You've got springtime, you've got outdoors, you've got nature, you've got community gardening, you've got sustainability. You know, you have the season where it can come out every spring and summer. You know, so that's that's the kind of hook that, um, you know, that picked for picture book sales um, are important for sales. Yeah, picture books are a little tough. Uh, I will say that because they're expensive to produce. They have to be priced pretty high for sale. And they've got to know that they're going to recoup that um, that cost for publishers. So, um, you know, I see a lot of those. Um, you know, that, that's, that's just an example. Um, With chapter books, you, you represent previous guest, Debbie Deity. Check the back catalog, esteemed audience. She's amazing. Don't, don't miss yeah. that episode. Um, but I mean, she's written every type of chapter book there is, isn't she? So is it any yes, yes, and she, you know, um, I'm representing her Belly School Kids um, series now. Um, and we've just sold uh, the TV film rights for that. And we just sold, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, there's a huge nostalgia thing now because those books came out and now the parents have the kids, you know, are having kids and want to share these books with them. And um, they've been asking for that. So we've sold that, we've sold the audio rights for that. And now we have graphic novels coming out um, through graphics. So that, that series has just, is just living you know, and uh, growing, continue to grow. So that that um, graphics, um, uh, uh, graphic novel, the first one's gonna come out this summer. It's the, um, uh, you know, the first book in the series, and then there's yeah, the- there's no book Exactly, and then the second one, it, it was not number two, but it's the one about Frankenstein doesn't plant petunias. So that'll be um, coming up the following year, so. Yeah, so I mean, you know, it can have a, a quite a life, and and her mermaid tales, they they go on and on, and they're doing great because it's it's a great hook. She does such a wonderful job with it. Kids love mermaids, and it also has an ecological twist. So she, you know, there's back matter about you know the fish and the ecology and things like that. So 
Um, but it, it is, it's a tough, um, it's a tough marketplace for that. Yeah. So. Was uh, looking at your uh, desires here earlier, so I know that you're you're not interested in Christian fiction or horsey books, uh, yeah. genre science fiction or even high fantasy, uh, but you do enjoy fantasy and speculative elements, especially in middle grade fiction. So I wanted to get a little clarification on that. What I know it's a little mixed up, right? Okay, so you know it's like I say I don't like blood and horror and gore, but I still represent a few. Um, horror kind of authors <laughs> and I and I say that oh I don't really like I'm not really into like science fiction but I do represent Gregory Frost who's a master of science fiction and fantasy and he does it in the adult um, realm and um, why is that because they're very character driven and they totally suck me in <laughs> um, the reason why I say I'm, I'm I don't generally go like heavy genre is because I'm not a heavy genre reader and I feel like I didn't, I wouldn't have, you know, the discernment that I would need for the, the genre readers, you know. Um, but I, I do love elements of it. And I do love fantasy. Um, one of my favorite books of all time is The Once and Future King. So that stays on my favorite list <laughs> by T.H. White. Um, and, you know, I've, I've read uh, some fantasy. I'm just I'm just not up on every single fantasy book and, and, and uh, science fiction author. Um, I now represent Franco Aureliani. Uh, Franco um, is somebody who's a comic book artist who's done all the superhero books um, for Marvel and all these other um, imprints. So, um, you know, he's, he's working in graphic novels with me. Um, so obviously I am drawn in. You're right, you're right. It's, it's, it's confusing, but I would say like, if you're a heavy genre person, you know, and, and you don't feel like your stories are that character driven, I'm probably not the right, the right agent for you. That's what I would say. And horse is just terrifying. So <laughs> that explains that one. I was always scared of horses. I, I never trust anything at a tongue the size of my head. I just, I feel like that's a bad thing. Went through a, a period at the blog where people kept sending me uh, books about a girl and her horse, a girl and a horse go on an adventure there at sea. And I said, finally, no more. I can't. I've, I've reviewed 20 of these now. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm an old, I'm a grown man. I, I can't read anymore. And somebody said, well, what about a girl and a horse in the apocalypse? And I said, okay, fine. One more. <laughs> yeah. See, you got me, right? I know. I know. I'm curious. How does that relationship endure at the end of humanity? Go on. <laughs> All right. Now, yeah, that's interesting. Okay. I, I do appreciate that. <laughs> and um, with, uh, gosh, I, 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 I had a question right on the tip of my tongue and I started to say it and now it's gone. Oh, but, oh, I wanted to ask you about a ghost story. You're looking for a fresh, non gory ghost story for any age. Right. Oh, I love ghost stories. I love ghost stories. Yeah. But I, you know, I don't, I like, like at Halloween, I love the spookiness, but I don't like the slasher. You know, like you go into the haunted house and they'd have like the blood. No, give me the ghost, <laughs> the spooky, the eerie, the, you know, that kind of stuff, the tragic story, you know, what happened, that kind of stuff. I, I, I do, I do love um, ghost stories a lot. Yeah. Well, that leads to a question that Steve Douglas does I have to ask because I ask everybody, uh, have you uh, ever seen a flying saucer and or a ghost? 
you know, no flying saucers, no sci-fi-ish stuff, but some some spooky things have happened. Um, One. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I think, you know, with ghosts, I think the thing with ghosts is like, I'd like to believe it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't necessarily not believe it. I'd like to believe it. And I, you know, I'm like, whatever. Um, when I was in Edinburgh, visiting my daughter was studying abroad and we went up to Edinburgh um, in April and we were in, um, have you ever been up there? To Edinburgh? No. Oh, it's the world's creepiest place. It is, it's just, it's creepy. It's good, delicious, creepy. There's a Grey Friars Kirk, which is um, a churchyard filled with um, the most terrifying graves you've ever seen. And, and it, um, that whole area, just the vibe of that is just creepy. It's just, it, there's something there. You just know there's something there. And in fact, that's where um, JK Rowling would walk around she would sit in the cafe and look out on the in the old graveyard, and then she would walk around this graveyard, and that's where she got the names from a lot of her characters. There's the grave of Moody. There's the grave of um, oh, I'm so tired. I get like it's been a long day. I apologize, but who's the bad guy? The big bad guy. He oh, Voldemort. Yes, Tom Voldemort. So what's his uh, Tom Riddle? There's a grave for Tom Riddle in there. Um, so you know it's super creepy in that way. But that area is really creepy. And then we went, um, we went and visited a, a castle on one of the trips into Scotland when we were there. We did like a road trip. And there was this one room in a castle where there was like this doll in this bed. And it was like a four-poster bed. And it just, again, it was creepy. I don't know what it was. It was creepy. It was not right, okay? So then afterwards, like, like two days later, we're back in the, the bed and breakfast and we're watching TV and there's like America's, you know, not America's. Forget it. England's like most haunted houses and stuff like that. And they had this castle and they had that room and the guy stayed overnight in their room and the doll was jumping around. <laughs> I'm like, I knew it. I knew it. I know. So that's a little secondary. That's a little secondary. I realized this, but still I knew, I knew it was not right. Um, so like I get, I would get vibes of things, you know, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. What about you? Uh, yes. But every time I tell it, I end up cutting it out of the show. Because uh, it's wildly inappropriate for a middle grade theme. <laughs> yes, I have seen. I have seen a, 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 something that I believe to have been a, uh, if not a ghost, a, a darn good impression impression of one. And eventually, when I figure out how to tell a nice uh, G-rated story, <laughs> by golly, esteemed audience. All right. I won't keep it uh, to myself forever. I mean, but I've also had those dreams where like a premonition kind of dream, you know, like a friend has, had died. I didn't know it. And around that time at night that, that they were just sitting next to me. I was dreaming that I was, they were sitting next to me and they were wearing a black veil and they had um, like black lace gloves on and they weren't talking. They were just smiling. And then I found out that they died that night. That was really, yeah, that was, you know, like there's something there, you know? Yeah. Something strange about the way the universe functions where once in a while you see something and I, 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 get, I get right up short of don't define it because once you start defining it, then you start creating rules and this is what we have to eat and when we have to eat it and we're all going to dress this way. <laughs> 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 there's, there's, something something there. there's something there. That's all. Yeah, that's all. Yeah. 
Well, I tell you what, this has been an absolute pleasure, and we have covered just an extraordinary amount of, of topics in a, in a short period of time. Uh, thank you uh, again for, for making the time. My uh, last question is always some variation of this because it's my catch-all for all the things we, we, we could have talked about if I hadn't taken up the time with Ghost. <laughs> but uh, if there was uh, a piece of advice that you could give to go back and give to yourself, to any of your clients early in their career that would have made a, a significant difference for them and made their path easier and might make easier the path of all the writers watching or listening to us, what would you go back and tell either them or yourself? Um, I mean, I think what I would say, and I think I've kind of come to it myself and you can see from my journey as well, is um, remember who you were as a child. Remember that original self, that's your voice. Do anything you can to connect to that original self and be true to it because we want things that fit somewhere in a market, but we want to hear your original, authentic, who you are, your point of view. That's valuable. That's original. That's something nobody else can bring to it. And that joy of being a child, of being somebody who creates, remember that and always tap into it. Don't lose it. Don't ever lose it because this is your craft. It's separate from the market, from aging, from eh, you know all that stuff. Have be the joyful creator that you are, and um, you know everything else is extra. That's what I think, and and it's a long game, and so don't let anything kill that joy of writing. That's really the magic. That's what I would say. That's the perfect note to end on. Where uh, can esteemed audience find you online, follow you on social media, all that good stuff? Um, wait, I'm at Marie Lomba, author on Facebook, um, Marie Lomba on Twitter. Um, and I would also point out, I, have, I haven't been um, adding to it but recently, but I have a website, marielomba.com. And that I highly recommend just because if you can search into the search field, I have, I have so much content on there about querying, about writing, about... Um, the writer's life, about um, agenting, about conference, you know, being a conference attendee, all that stuff. And um, so check it out. You know, it, it's, it's always there. It's a, it's a big resource. So I, I would say that's something to definitely go to. Um, I'm on Instagram, but I don't really know how to use it very well. So <laughs> don't expect much there, but um, yeah. But I hope to hear from people, you know. Um, don't be discouraged by the numbers. Um, your voice will always come through. As always, esteemed audience, uh, head to middlegradeninja.com, read Marie's original interview, plus uh, thousands of other wonderful interviews that await you. Download your free copy of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees, and God willing, I'm alive. I'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.